Good morning. We got a fun room this morning. I'm going to have Tyson come up in just a minute here. Uh, um, this past week, so I'm a part of the teaching team here at 3rd, and I'm, I'm kind of developing my own teaching team a little bit. Caleb Belzer is here somewhere. I saw him walking in, and he helped me with the sermon a few weeks back. And then this last week, Tyson, Lake, Isaiah, and Colin all came in on Wednesday. And some other guys came this morning, too. We talked beforehand and helped me just look at the text. And so what I found was what stood out to them was what was standing out to me. I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is the way to go. So Tyson's going to come up for us today, and he's going to read our text for today, and then uh, we're going to get going. Is that all right? All right. You got it. Okay. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came into the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went down and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it it would be good for one man to die for the people. Come on, come on. Well done. Good. I would never have done that when I was in eighth grade. I can tell you that right now. I just started doing this a couple years ago, to be honest. So uh, what I want to do to get started here is, uh, first I want to tell a story. Uh, Then I want to uh, reread the last verse that Tyson just beautifully read. Uh, I want to give my sentence for today so you know where we're going. We're going to get good and warmed up, and then we're going to get back into the text. Sound good? All right. So before I tell a story, one thing, I remind myself of this a lot um, the story I'm going to tell you is it's different than your life. Oftentimes we tell stories, we watch movies, it's so different from our life. And what do we do with that? So I've read, and a person told us to me, when you hear a story, you honor the story, you honor the person and what they did by allowing it to impact your life today. So I'm going to tell a lot of stories today. And the hope is that we will let the stories impact how we live today. So the story um, it's by a man, about a man named Second Lieutenant John Robert Fox. There he is. So in December of 1944, he found himself, and you can leave him up, in between a rock and a hard place. As you can probably guess, this is World War II. And he and the American forces are moving their way up through Italy, trying to make their way to Germany. But at this moment, they're actually being beaten back by the, the Italian and German forces. So they're actually losing the day. They're being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Well, you need to launch a counteroffensive but you need some time to launch a counteroffensive. So the second lieutenant, it was his job to assess the situation. So he cl- goes to a little house in this little village, and he climbs the second floor, and he surveys everything. And he notices 
I am entirely surrounded by the enemy. So his job then is to call in artillery strikes. So he calls one in throughout the region, but he makes this really unique decision. He calls in a strike on his exact location. The person on the other end wants clarification. Like, that's where you are. His response, fire it. There's more of them than there are of us. So they fire it. And what he hopes to happen does. It slows the advance. Gives the forces time to regroup, launch a counter-offensive. And as the troops came back to the small village, they found the house where he was in, in rubbles, in ruins, and his body inside. But as they assessed the situation, those people that were surrounding him were no longer living. So the last verse that Tyson read was this. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders it would be good if one man died for the people. So in the story of Second Lieutenant John Robert Fox and the story of Jesus, the counteroffensive that had to be launched, he had, Caiaphas had no idea. He was actually a part of the grandest counteroffensive the world has ever known. Not just humankind, mankind, the cosmos of all time, all things, the grandest counteroffensive but it was required some sacrifice. So my sentence for today, it's all built off this last verse, is this. Seeking to be sacrificial. That's where we're going. So I, want, I hope you see today that Jesus agreed with Caiaphas. I hope you see that Jesus is no victim. Jesus is no martyr. Jesus is in charge. And that is where he is going. All right? Seeking to be sacrificial. So as I've been thinking about this a lot, because you hear those stories, how, how do I honor that story today? How do I honor the story of the second lieutenant? How do I honor the story of Jesus? What do I do exactly? And I've been thinking, how do I, how do I become the kind of person? How do, I, how do I become the kind of person who would make sacrificial, do sacrificial things for other people? How do I do that? What well, has to happen in the minutes and the days and the weeks and the months, the years that lead up to opportunities to sacrifice for others? What do I have to do to do that? And so as I've been getting ready, I've been drawn towards the word, first, freedom. I think we have a, an understanding of freedom, what it actually means to be free, that maybe I can seek to be sacrificial. So what does freedom have to do with, with, with the cross and with Jesus? And I don't know if you noticed, but the, our teaching team is really hopeful. So Kathy Howe said last week, Lent is a preparatory season. We're preparing for Easter. So we've been hoping that no matter where you are in life, that in Lent, that what happened on the cross, the weight of the cross, the size of the cross, what was bore on the cross becomes kind of heavy. You kind of start to realize, man, I really need somebody to save me. I cannot save myself. So hopefully it gets heavier and gets heavier and gets heavier in the best way. And then when Easter comes and the stone is rolled away and we realize that we now have eternal life, life forever, those I have lost, those that I love, those who are no longer here, I can live with them forever. And that starts right now, that maybe that changes something in my life today. Like right now. That's what we're hoping for. So freedom. What does freedom have to do with sacrifice in Jesus? Well, Philippians 2, 6-8 says this. And I insert some words to see if you can catch them. It's about Jesus and what he chose to do. So Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he, my insert, freely made himself nothing. By freely, he chose to take the very nature of a servant. Freely he chose to be made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he freely decided to humble himself 
and become obedient to death. Death on a cross. Jesus chose to do, I guess, the opposite of what I would think that I would want to do with my freedom, right? He chose to sacrifice. I choose the exact opposite almost all the time. So now I can only speak for myself. This is my view of freedom. And also maybe our world's view of freedom. You see if this agrees with you or what you kind of think. So um, I read the book called The Cross Before Me. And I'm trying to, so if we understand freedom, we can then be sacrificial, okay? So this is what they said. The problem with our current worldview of freedom is that it can only conceive of freedom in negative terms. The world, maybe me too, maybe you, I don't know, defines freedom as the absence of constraint, obstacle or interference. I'm only truly free when nothing is stopping me from what I want. I am free from other people. I'm free from society. I'm free from the government. I'm free from tradition. I'm free from authority. I'm free from nature. I'm free from my body and maybe even free from God. Freedom means breaking the limits. It means there are no rules, no boundaries. No one tells me what to do. I decide for myself what I want to do. No rules, no laws, no no boundaries, so long as you don't do things that mess up with my freedom. Does that sound like freedom today? I choose. You don't choose for me, I choose. You don't choose for me, I choose. That's freedom, right? Well, it seems like maybe Jesus had a different idea of what freedom might mean. And if Jesus is the one who was truly free, it must be significant. So the problem is, what I freely choose most often ends up being something that actually enslaves me. I chose it. I chose it. But then even good things, it can become my ultimate thing. And I actually become bound to its expectations, its approval, it's standards of me. So I, I talked with these guys today about basketball. For me, basketball is a good thing. Sports are a good thing, right? We learn good lessons in sports. We learn to be on a team. We learn to be a bit a, a, bigger than ourselves. We're working towards major goals. So we're learning to work hard. But even a good thing like basketball can become an ultimate thing. And it consumes all of me. And then I have to meet its expectations of who I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to do. And I actually and become so involved with just basketball, I forget about everyone else. I'm trying to do what I want to do. So even good things, we can be enslaved by good things. And then we enter into this cycle of slavery. I chose something. I chose it. You didn't choose it for me. But then I become bound to it. And then I choose a new thing. Right? I, I'm, I'm older now. I just choose a new thing. And now, now it's a job. Now it's a career. Now it's my family. Now it's my wife. It's my kids. And those are all good, good things. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, then I got a problem. Because I become bound to its expectations and its approval or theirs and their standards. That thing was never meant to be it, and I will never meet it for them. It's not going to happen. Cycle over and over and over. We think we're free, but we're actually not. So a famous theologian said this, we end up serving the things that are meant to serve us. All these good things, supposed to be part of our life. We end up serving them. So I, I hope this week, at some point in time, I'm trying to do this, uh, is uh, uh, ask this question yourself. Who or what's approval do I seek? Perhaps whoever's approval it is, is the thing I have freely chosen. I have elevated to a place it shouldn't be. And I'm trying to seek its approval. But maybe I'm doing a good job. And maybe I'm seeking the one who actually loves me unconditionally. I don't know. But ask yourself that question. Because Paul, in the letter to the Galatians, he said this to them. About freedom. It's for freedom you've been set free. It's for freedom you've been set free. Don't become enslaved to a new thing. He says, stand firm then and don't let yourselves be again burdened by a yoke of slavery. 
So how do we steer clear of these things that can become ultimate things we actually become in bondage to? Well, Jesus said this. This is what he did. And I think Jesus is a good example to try to figure some things out. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came seeking to be sacrificial from the beginning all the way through. So sacrifice seems to maybe be the key to the good life. Being willing to sacrifice, to give things up, means that I don't care about other things, things that might try to enslave me. Is that making sense to everybody? Okay. So true freedom comes not through breaking away all constraints, but by living according to the true order of things, which according to him is sacrificial love. This is a hard thing. Sacrifice is hard. For God so loved the world. Why? What, what did he come to do? He said he came, the Son of Man, Jesus, came to find and restore the lost. So he chose to sacrifice over and over and over to find you and restore you. That was his goal. That's what he did. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Because that's different than how we kind of live, right? We oftentimes miss, I read this, we misuse our power. We, in doing so, we not only inhibit the flourishing of other people, and we're not only doing injustice to them, but we're also distorting the image of the, of the God that we say that we present. So if this was his way to the good life, if I'm diminishing other people for my own freedom, I'm presenting someone that he is not. And that's a problem. So the people that Paul wrote that to is for freedom you've been set free. Kathy Hogg, if you back, said that when he wrote that, he was really mad. Because this church was creating all these obstacles and all these additional things for people to get to Jesus. And that made him really, 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 really mad. I read a book recently that's called What Made Jesus Mad? The whole book is that anything, anyone who creates barriers for people to get to him makes him really, really angry. Paul is with him. He is angry. This is, that, 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 that was free. He gave that to you. After you become a Christian, well, he has some ideas for you to live, but this is free. He says, don't put things between me and my people that I love. I'm coming to find them and to restore them. So how did our text end? Here we go. We're going to get back into it. It would be good for one truly free man, he ch freely chose this, that's, that's my insert, to die for the people. So I hope, I'm going to read the text, and uh, we're actually, we're, my mom, it's my mom, Every give her a plan. She's, she's not going to like that. But so she is, she is creating the garden. So she's visually creating the garden. So I want you, as you're listening to this story, who's in charge of this story? I, I want you to almost be a fly on the wall. You're in the garden. You're watching this scene unfold. Just listen as I tell it, okay? And I'm going to draw your attention to some different things. All right, here we go. We're saying Jesus is seeking to be sacrificial, and he's in charge. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and cross the Kidron Valley. So the Kidron Valley is uh, in the uh, rainy season. It's full of water. Right now, right now it's not. But I tell you what it is full of. It's full of blood. Blood of all the lambs being sacrificed through Passover. So they cross over this blood. Jesus does, right? On the other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. So the garden here. So the, this is the gospel according to John. So John's telling the story of Jesus. And what John is doing is he is trying to hyperlink this garden with a different garden. So he's saying... So Jesus is going into a garden. There was a different garden at the very beginning of this book, very beginning, and there was a guy in it, and that guy failed. He said, I, I know I'm made in God's image. This is Adam. I know I'm made in God's image, but I actually don't know if I can trust you, God. I think you're holding out on me a little bit. I think I should be God. I know I'm like you, but I actually, I want the freedom to choose. 
I get to choose. I want to know what's right and wrong. I want to do those things. So that man failed. He lost himself in the garden. Adam did. And if we're being honest, I would do the same thing, right? We'd all do that. Let's not blame Adam, all right? We'd all do the same thing. But now he's saying there's a new man in a new garden. And guess what? He's not going to fail. He's going to do what we can't do, right? So watch. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. Because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. We're saying Jesus is seeking to be sacrificial. So what does he do? He goes to the place where he knows Judas can find him. He said, come and get me. You know right where I am. I'm in the garden. We go there all the time. So he's seeking to be caught. So Judas came to the garden. He knows where it is. He knows where Jesus is. Guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. We kind of had a laugh the other day. I was meeting with these guys over here. They said, don't they know Jesus is nonviolent? When was he ever wielding weapons? Why are they going to arrest him like this? It doesn't make any sense. I thought that was kind of fun. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out to them and asked, who do you want? So I married into a family with some police officers. And I imagine they would love it if they were going to arrest someone. The person said, here I am. Come get me. Here we go. Who does that? No one does that unless you're seeking to be sacrificial. So Jesus goes out to them and says, who do you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. Again, we laughed the other day. Don't they know who Jesus is? They're from the temple. He's been everywhere. He's causing a ruckus to the whole region. How do they not know who he is? Anyways. Next, Jesus says, all right, this is fun. So that he right there, I am, he is, could probably not be there. Jesus just says, I am. Who, who, who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus says, I am. So I don't know if you know, that is an old, those are Old Testament words. That means, I'm God. I'm the king. And what happens when the king says, I am? Uh, they drew back and they fell to the ground. They were so overwhelmed by this guy that they're going to arrest. Again, imagine you're watching this happen. People are going to arrest somebody. Who's in charge here? They go to find him. He comes out to them, and he says, who do you want? And then when he says his name, they all fall to the ground. Who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. But I'm trying to imagine this scene. Again, we're trying to imagine. You've got a whole bunch of people laying on the ground, and now they're trying to get back up. Because in the Old Testament, when someone was confronted by the I am, they were so overwhelmed by God's majesty and his glory, their human capabilities just failed them. They just fell down. Couldn't stand. What is happening? I'm disoriented. These guys get back up. And Jesus comes after him again. Who do you want? <laughs> Not sure if I want to say it again. Jesus of Nazareth, right? I told you. I am. I'm the king. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. Who's in charge here? Jesus or the people arresting him? Is Jesus a victim? I don't think so. I have not lost one of those you gave me. He fulfilled his own prophecy. Then Simon Peter, I love Simon, he's, or Peter, he had a sword and he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. Learn this, Malchus was his name. He's probably in charge. He's the high priest's servant. So if you don't want to be arrested, if you're Jesus, Cutting off the person who's in charge, his ear, would probably disrupt the arrest. It wouldn't happen, right? It would just be madness. So what does Jesus do next? Well, one, he puts his ear back on, which is wild anyways. But then he says, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given to me? What did Brett say last week the cup meant? i got to find it in my notes. I'm getting excited up here. 
The cup represents that I will bring you out. Who's in charge? Jesus says, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will protect you. And I'm going to take on the wrath for you. I'm going to do all these things. I'm in charge. I think it was Lake the other day. He said, doesn't Peter get it yet? Someone did. Doesn't he get it? Does he know who Jesus is? Not yet. He's still working on it. Then the detachment of soldiers with his commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and they brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Here we go. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders, it would be good if one man died for the people. Jesus agreed. And Jesus is moving this story along because he was going there for you and for me. That's where he's going and nothing's going to stop him. So at the beginning... I said, you know, when you hear stories, you honor the person, you honor the sacrifice by letting that story impact your life, right? So I thought, how'd the early church do? Did it impact their life? Let's see. I read the story about Paul and Silas, right? Two disciples of Jesus, and they're out sharing the good news. I would say Paul agrees with Jesus. The sacrifice is a good thing. It's the way to actually spread the kingdom. So they're in this town, and they're going to share the good news. And there's a, a person possessed by evil just following them around, just yelling things out. They're with the most high God. That's who they are. And, and he's, there's a really distracting person when you're trying to share the good news with people, right? So after several days, they decide they cast out that evil thing in Jesus' name. As soon as they do, the local entrepreneurs who own that person, they just lost all their money. They lost the way to, to, to take care of their family, whatever. And they're really angry. So they, they incite a riot, and then they throw them in jail. Before they do, they, they strip them, beat them, and they flog them. Now they're in jail. And it's midnight, and it says in Scripture that they are singing hymns and praying. If you're singing hymns and praying at midnight, I'm going to guess you're doing it all day beforehand, too. So we have two guys who are beaten, naked, and flogged, singing in prison. And I'm going to guess if they're praying, they're praying for everyone around them, too, right? So at midnight, listen to this. It's midnight, and there's a violent earthquake. But listen to this earthquake. The earthquake opens the door to their cells, and then an earthquake takes the shackles off their wrists. What kind of earthquake is this, right? So they're in there, though, and the jailer wakes up to the earthquake, and he's like, oh, they're my responsibility. I'm supposed to watch them carefully, and they're gone. So instead of being killed by his superiors, he thinks, I'm going to do this myself. But Paul yells out, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. That had to be surprising. It has to be kind of sacrificial to sit there and wait. Who doesn't, I mean, don't, don't they want to go out and share the good news? Don't, don't they want to go out and preach and share? They sat there. And the person is so moved by their sacrifice, he falls on his knees in front of him and says, what do I have to do to be like you? And a whole household gets saved because a couple guys went into prison and sat there and waited. So that's grandpa and grandma, that's uncles and aunts and cousins, that's brothers and sisters, mom and dad, that's workers. It's a household. It's a lot of people get saved. Now I was thinking about this. Um, why didn't, so in the beginning of the story, they don't, they don't cast out the evil right away. I don't understand that. I'm not sure why they didn't do that. But down there, if it's me, it's because I'm, I'm not sharing the good news. Like, I don't want to be in prison. I know what's going to happen to me if I have to go into prison. I'm going to be 
stripped and beaten and flogged. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to share the good news, but fine, they do it. And it's like Holy Spirit was saying, yes, yes, you have to sacrifice because there's someone who's in prison who needs me. Do it. Be sacrificial. So the story of Jesus impacted the early church, which brings it, uh, I think, to us. So I have an idea here, and we'll see how this goes. I'm going to have some help from some guys. Okay. All right, so just so you all know, there are cups under some of your seats. Don't drink the water. Our help is out of the fountain. Hope that's okay. All right. So if you have one, if you're not, there's more of there in just a minute. And if you guys want to, you can start coming. Just kind of come up and just start filling it up. So this is my thought. I, how can I become the kind of person who would be willing to sacrifice? What do I have to do in the minutes, the days, the weeks, the months? What has to become part of my life so I'm willing to sacrifice, right? Well, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Andrew Schmidt, and he's telling me he has done this for periods in his life. And we're in Lent. So this is a little different way to think of Lent. So he said he will do is every day he'll choose to say no to a good thing. Just a good thing. Maybe it's an afternoon coffee. If you're Brian Vanderly, you know Brian said afternoon diet Mountain Dew. Uh, perhaps uh, the other day I was walking through the church and we were coming out of a meeting. I had a lunch. I was starving. I walked by the break room and I, and I saw some donuts, Vanderplug donuts. It's a good thing, right? And I went to grab one. I said, not today. And I walked out. And Nick Rosendahl laughed at me. He's like, what are you doing? It's like a sermon. Don't worry about it. So he would just choose a good thing and say, not today. And here's what I'm thinking. If I'm going to be willing to sacrifice, i got to develop the sacrificial muscle a little bit. i got to start saying no to some things, good things. I have to start getting good at this so that at some point in time, you know, and if you want, if you have a cup, if you want to, if you're willing, you can stand up. You can come pour it in there right now as I'm talking, just so you know. They're, they're kind of everywhere. I have to develop the muscle. So, like, you know, and we've actually, I've actually seen this playing out in my household this week. Uh, like, let's say that, like, for example, this is not what happened in my house, but you want to watch your favorite show or you want to watch the game. But guess what? Your wife's favorite show just came out on the Magnolia Network. <laughs> and you say, babe, let's watch your show tonight. Or vice versa. Your wife says, hey, Clay, you want to watch The Last Dance tonight? I'm still trying to watch The Last Dance. It's a show about the Bulls. And she, says, and she says, let's watch your show tonight. Just small things. Just saying no to good things. Small things. But we're developing this muscle. I hope it doesn't get too full. If it does, we'll stop everyone. Because my thought here is, at some point in time, we're going to be asked, it says that Jesus poured himself out for us. He poured himself out for us. Well, if I don't have anything to pour out, what can I pour out? We, we can develop this a little bit. Thanks for doing this, everybody. This is really fun. So maybe this week, as you're filling up a water cup, or you're pouring out a water cup, you think to yourself, oh man, what can I give up today so I can learn to be more like him? There was a follower of Jesus when uh, he described, what, what, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What do you have to do? What does it mean to you? And he said this, you always talk about how Jesus died for our sins, right? He said, 
No, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm asking you this week, seek to be sacrificial. Start developing the muscle. Be more like him. And sacrifice sounds kind of hard, because it is. But there's good news. Jesus died, and then he rose, and then he said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm sending somebody to help you. It's Holy Spirit. He'll help you do all this stuff. But we've got to ask him. So I was thinking, I'm always struck by, if I can't worship, if I can't move into worship, here, how am I going to do that elsewhere? So as you think about, we're, 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 we're going to sing, we're, we're going to worship the king of the universe who sacrificed everything over and over and over in his life and made the old sacrifice for us. Would we worship him like he did that? Would I maybe sacrifice something that I don't think it looks like in worship? Maybe I raise a hand today. Maybe I close my eyes today. Maybe I just sing today. But we got to start, you might start seeking to be sacrificial. And this is a good chance to start. Let's pray. Say, come Holy Spirit. Would you move in this room? Would you have your way with us? Would you have your way in our hearts? Would you change us? Would we change today? Might we become something different today than we were yesterday? Would you make us more like Jesus today? Would you do that right now in this room as we worship and as we sing? Would you do that after we leave in our homes and wherever it is that we go? Would you teach us to seek to be sacrificial?